Bibles to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. We'll continue right where we left off last week. Mark chapter number 10. Mark 10. And we're going to look down. We're going to look back at verse 22 to remind us just for a second of something that was said last week. And then we'll dive into the new stuff here in verse 23. So verse 22 of Mark chapter 10. The Bible says, And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly can they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? Jesus, looking upon them, said, With men it is impossible. Wow, if the scripture ended right there, we would all be in big trouble, wouldn't we? With men it is impossible. But not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. Father, we need your help this morning. I pray you'd guide my thoughts and our direction this morning. I pray that you'd help us as we look at this passage today. Help it to open our eyes to some things today. Help it be a blessing to our hearts and encourage us and help us live for you in this day that we live. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. It is impossible to sneeze with your eyes open. Has anyone ever done it? Your eyes always close. Another impossibility in life is impossible for the Chargers to win a Super Bowl. I don't know what it is about it, but they just can't do it. And they proved that again last week to me. You know, I think it's pretty impossible to eat just one chip. Has anyone ever just gotten a bag of chips and eaten one chip and said, I'm done? No, you start with one, you go on from there. Impossible things. I noticed with Caroline when she puts that stuff around her eyes, her mouth is always open. I think that always happens. Is that true, ladies? Not you, Carla? She, she purposely keeps her mouth closed. So maybe that's not an impossibility. I also noticed, you ever eat a banana? It's impossible not to smack it around some, right? It always makes that noise. Some impossibilities in life, and we talk about those things. We look at our passage today, and Jesus describes how difficult it is for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom of God. And we're going to look at this in deeper and make sure we understand. Now, you've got to understand something. 
Jesus goes on to say it is impossible for any man to get to heaven. But with God, all things are possible. As we look at the sermon today, if I gave you a sentence, sentence to think about with the sermon, it would be this, that God loves to turn your impossibility into his probability. God can take the impossible and make something out of it. Now, one thing that will help you this morning is, and that's one of the blessings of going through the entire book of Mark like we have, this passage needs to be taken in context. Remember what was preached last week. There was this man that came to the Lord and asked him, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts going through the command. And this man was wealthy. This man had great possessions, the Bible tells us. And this man ran up eager to Jesus. But then in the end, he turns around and he leaves. Sad, verse 22, and he was sad at the saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. And we see that this is when Jesus goes deeper with the disciples. He looks around and he goes deeper into this thing. You know, we think about possessions. We think about wealth and those types of things. The disciples, they watched, they listened to this interaction. And there are many in Christianity today that believe in this prosperity gospel. And I'm not a believer in the prosperity gospel. And what you got to understand is God does bless us. And praise God that he does. And thank God for his goodness. Thank God for his blessings. But you got to understand something. The Lord tells Peter at the end of our passage today... There are a lot of blessings that come, and you get eternal life later, but there are persecutions that are along the way. That was said right in the middle of our text, which we'll look at towards the end today. And so as we dive in today, and we go further with this, we're going to see a couple truths from this passage. Number one, as we dive in today, we see that salvation is improbable for the wealthy. Jesus describes or debriefs his disciples after their encounter with this wealthy man that goes away sad. We look at verse 23, and it says, at the beginning there, it says, And Jesus looked round about. The idea is that his eyes swept the circle. He looked all around to the disciples that were before him. And when we think about this, have you ever, think about that. How would it have been to have Jesus look at you? I know I feel like every once in a while you get that look from him about something you do. I feel that anyways. You might not feel that, but... This thing about him looking around and gazing on them. And once he has that, and he got everyone's attention. Once he got their attention, he said something that would catch their ear. Look at the rest of verse 23. How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Hey, what is it that makes wealth and possessions? What makes it hard? And when we think about these things, what makes it so difficult to follow Christ when you have those things? The pursuit of possessions can stranglehold your Christian life. Think about what Matthew 13, 22 says. The Bible tells us, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. You see how someone who receives the seed and is trying to grow, this is a Christian, this is, what it, this is where we're at. Do you see how you can become unfruitful? By letting the cares of this world, and look at that phrase, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word. We let the things in life, we let those riches, we let possessions sometimes 
choke out what God's Word's trying to do in our lives, and that's how we become unfruitful in the Christian life. The desire to riches can lead to destruction. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6, verse number 9, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Do you see that right there? That's one of the problems that you could run into. When we talk about riches and wealth, you know, I know there are many people out there, and people tease me often, Pastor, We'll be able to do so much more to the church property and build a new building if, if I win the lottery. And, you know, people say that. I've had people ask me, Pastor, if someone wins the lottery and they tithe off the lottery, would the church accept the money? I don't want to know where you got your money from. You do what God tells you to do, but I don't play the lottery. If you do that, that's your business, and you can figure that out between you and God. But there have been many things written about those who win the lottery. And there's this article that was written, Lottery winners say winning has ruined my life. Let me read part of the article. One of the great ironies of gambling is that the vast majority of people lose money. That's why Vegas is so nice, okay? Vegas is not built by everyone winning. Vegas is built by people losing. Just think on that for a minute, okay? And uh, it says, while the few who win discover money doesn't make them happy, and often it actually ruins their life. One study reported that six months after winning the lottery, you are likely to be no happier than if you had been paralyzed in a car crash. In 2013, Jane Park was 17 years old, and she won a 1.2 million lottery in Europe, in uh, the UK. They a- talked to her four years after that, so this is 2017. She was going to take legal action against the UK lottery because she called it negligence on their part, claiming that a person her age shouldn't have been allowed to win. She's, she dropped her suit eventually, but listen to what she had to say. At times it feels like winning the lottery has ruined my life. I thought it would make me ten times better, and it made me ten times worse. I have material things, but apart from that, my life is empty. I have no purpose in life. Those were her exact words. You think about those things and you look at money. And some people, they think, oh, if I win the lottery or if this happens, it's going to make me the happiest. Possessions will make me happy. This man that we read about last week, this man had all the possessions he needed. And he came to Jesus in search of the one thing he still needed, eternal life. And he left Jesus sad because those riches, those possessions, meant so much to him. It's interesting in our world today. uh, An article was published a while back, and it said, the wealthiest Americans donate 1.3% of their income each year. The poorest in America donate 3.2%. You think about our planet, and you think about those. This was done probably a year or two ago with inflation. It might have changed. But one family in New North Carolina could spend about $400 a week on food. A family in California, about 600 A family of four. A family in Germany could eat for about $325 a week. And there's places in Africa 
where they live on a dollar a week and eat off of that. As poor as sometimes we think we are to compared to others, 50% of the world's population lives in extreme poverty. Half of that number live under a dollar a day. We spend more on that on a coffee. We spend more than that on a burger. As if it's nothing, and that's their whole day. Think upon that for a minute. Over 3 billion people in our world today woke up this morning not knowing where their next meal's coming. And we get a little upset because a few grocery shelves are empty in the store. We have it so good, and we are so blessed with what we have. We talk about possessions, and I know you say, Pastor, are you going to talk about possessions and giving for a second? I'm going to. It's part of the message today. Hey, through the book of Mark, we've talked on some topics. We've talked about divorce. We've talked about remarriage. We've talked on lots of different things. Why not just go forgiving as well? We'll just take care of all of it. You haven't left yet in this amount, or maybe pe no, people have been sick. We're just going to go with it anyways. You think about this, and I, you really get this figured out. Did you know the Bible talks more about resources and our money than heaven and hell combined? In the Bible, there are 300 verses on prayer. There are less than 500 on faith, and there are over 2,000 that deal with wealth and possessions. Of the 38 parables that Jesus gave, 16 of them are about money. What does that say? What does that teach us? That you've got to understand something, that God cares about how you steward what he's given to you. According to a study on Christian giving called Pass the Plate, you can look it up online, more than one out of four American Protestants give no money at all to their local church. The median giving of a Christian in the United States today is $200 a year. Say, Pastor, how are, uh, our finances are doing all right right now. This is not about the church finances. This is to be a help to us in the message today. I heard one sermon title, and I like the title, and it was Cirrhosis of the Giver. And I don't think I need to say much more than that. I want to help you this morning, and maybe you, and I don't know, I sincerely believe there's not a Christian who doesn't want to be generous to God. I would think each and every one of us would want to be generous to God. But sometimes I feel like that we don't, and there's things the Bible teaches us to help us. And so before we get to the rest of our sermon, I want to give you a couple thoughts from the book of Proverbs. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. If you notice... Thy or thine, and I know those are old English for you, are used four times. It's personal. It reminds us of the fact how personal giving is. When we think about that, I want to give you three ways that you can give generously through this, these verses right here. The first one is this. Make God 
weightier than your wealth. The beginning of that verse tells us to honor the Lord with, with thy substance. The word honor means to consider him as weighty or heavy. Our view of God determines everything else we do. That's why it is so important how you view God in your life. And when we talk about that, if we see God as he's out there to get us, then we're going to be afraid of him. If we see God as who he truly is, or if we think, think about this, if we don't view God as who he should be, we'll never live for him. But if you want to work on your generosity and work on your giving to the Lord, it's interesting here that that verse just told us we are to honor the Lord with our substance. That means make God more important than this. Make God more important than the car you drive or the name brand on your clothes or your tie, Croft and Borrow, Coles. Possessions can weigh us down. What matters most to you, God or your wealth? Letter B. Give God your first and your best. The Bible says in that verse we just read, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. We A family had us over yesterday. And how many of you like leftovers? Let's be honest. How many of you like leftovers? How many of you do not like leftovers? My hand is up. Say, why don't you like leftovers? We'll just give you an example. I like steak. How many of you like steak? Okay, when you just get done grilling a steak on the grill or you're somewhere and you have a good steak, you it's good. Have you thrown that piece of meat in the microwave later on? It's like chewing on leather. I'm not, uh, and some of you might say, that's when the steak is really good. There's no way I couldn't, no, there, no, 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 no. I'm fresh, right there, great. But, you know, you have, and here's a piece of, here's a piece of garlic bread. Oh, it's crisp when you eat it. Then you throw it in the microwave later on after it's been in the fridge. No, thank you. Not, and you say, well, there's so many hungry people in so many places. I will give you my leftovers, and you can go take it to anybody you want, okay, if you're that concerned. I don't like leftovers. I like it fresh. How, what if I said, hey, come to my house. I want to prepare you a meal. I'm like, last Sunday I made this roast, and I'm going to feed that to you today. You're like, pastor doesn't think very much of me to give me leftovers. That's what we do with God. I got to take care of this. I take care of this. I do all these things. Well, there's nothing left. Sorry, God. What does the verse say? It says, the first fruits of all thine increase. God wants first place in the believer's life. He wants our best. In the Old Testament, they gave God the firstborn of their flocks the first fruits of their fields. When we give God first, we show that we're placing him above everything else. And what it shows is that we respect him and that we depend upon him to take care of us. That's what the Lord wants. So we see we're supposed to make God weightier than our wealth. We're to give God our first and our best. And then thirdly, when you give, you really begin to live. Verse number 10 of that passage, So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. When you follow God's plan for giving, 
and you put God first and you trust him, God always takes care of you. He always does. Now, Pastor, I just don't see it. How's it ever going to work? You trust him for salvation, don't you? You trust him for salvation. Salvation's a lot. Your soul being saved forever is way more difficult than giving you his money. He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the earth. Is the, he owns it all. I would encourage you, not for the sake of our church, because God provides for his church, but for your own sake, to get to the point to where the Lord matters more than your wealth, and you put him first in your finances, and you watch how he blesses you in return. With that being said, I want to give you a couple last thoughts. There's a book that I read, a great little book, if anyone ever wants to read it. Randy Alcorn wrote it, and the it's very short too which makes it nice I like short books I like short books or I like the ones that have a bunch of pictures in it so it makes it you know those are good too and uh, the book is titled The Treasure Principle I want to give you the two points from his book and I'm giving him credit he's the one who gave these but his first point is this that God owns everything and I am his money manager if we could get that understood in our lives that God owns everything say well God owns that yes he does Pro Psalm 24 1 the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the earth and they that dwell therein everything here belongs to God when I honor God with my wealth I'm declaring that God owns me and that and everything I have and secondly in that book the second principle is this my heart always goes where I put God's money. That's where we get a hard time. No, 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 pastor. Not where I put God's money. It's my money. It's my house. It's my car. It's my possessions. What was that verse we just read a minute ago? Go back to Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, everything in it, the world, and they that dwell therein. You and I, everything we have, it is not our own. We are bought with a price, and we are to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. It would do each of us a good deal in our lives if we had realized something. I, it is not my life. God has given me the time he's given me, and I need to be a good manager of the time that God's given to me. He owns it all. You're a manager at a company. Your boss won't be happy if you don't manage the place right, right? It's not, you don't own it. Someone has you working there to manage and make sure the job gets done. The Lord has put you here to manage all that is his. Your wealth, your possessions, all belong to him. Your children, your spouse, they belong to God. And the way you treat them matters. But as we looked at here, the second point from the book, you can put that back up on the screen there. My heart always goes where I put God's money. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. By giving to God first and by giving him my best, my focus is in the right place. 
the owner of Chick-fil-A, the founder. And uh, how many of you like Chick-fil-A? I think it's overpriced chicken. But it, it, it is good, but it is overpriced chicken. But anyways, with that being said, he said this, it's okay to have wealth, but keep it in your hands and not in your heart. It's a good little saying there. We see number one this morning that we learn that salvation's improbable for the wealthy. Number two, we see that salvation is impossible on our own. After Jesus describes how hard it is for a wealthy person to get into the kingdom of God, the disciples have kind of an emotional reaction to that. You look in verse 24, it says the disciples were astonished at his words. They were surprised because this messed with their theology. So we see that Jesus, once again, look at what else he says there. Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? I love there how he calls them children. He gets their focus, their attention, and then he restates what he just said. Jesus wanted them to know that while the gospel is easy to understand, it is hard to get into heaven. I'm reminded of what Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14 says. Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate. And broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. We see that Jesus gives them an illustration in verse 25. And look at what it says there. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. There's a common interpretation of this passage, and there's, I've heard many pastors use this throughout the years. And they use the fact that Jerusalem had several gates in its walls, and they had different names. You had the East Gate, the West Gate, and unfortunately, the Dung Gate. You don't want to go through the Dung Gate. And apparently, they say there was another gate called the Eye of the Needle. If a merchant wanted to get through this gate, he'd have to unload the burdens from the camel that he was bearing, and force the animal to go and to crawl through this hole. It's a great illustration about the fact that we need to take those things that weigh us down coming to Christ, but there is no historical proof that there was ever such a gate. And you think with me real quick, why would you empty your camel of all the stuff on it and have it crawl through this little space when you just go to another gate? Ninth century is when that tradition was started to be talked about. There is no biblical proof to it, and it wasn't what the Lord was trying to say here. When we look at this, the interpretation, that interpretation I just gave you, makes us miss the point that Jesus is making, he says, about the impossibility for a man to enter into heaven. It's like a sewing needle. I've got a needle here, if I could get it to move here, and of course it slipped down this little spot. You know, right when you need something, it's always got to move on you. There we go. Come on. Tilt this this way. There we go. Do what you got to do. There's the eye of the needle. Can anyone see that? You can't see the needle. There's a needle in my hand, okay? There's a needle in my hand. And there's a little eye there. Just a little eye. I don't have a camel I could bring to church today. So I brought a toy from my kids' collection. That eye. Is this dinosaur going to fit through the eye here? 
Is there a chance? Maybe I can get the tail through. Nope. There is no way this dinosaur is going through the eye of this needle. There is no way that man can get to heaven on his own. It is impossible. Men have tried for thousands of years to get their way to heaven. And they have just as much chance of making it happen as this dinosaur does going through here. It's not going to ever happen. And this is, a di- this is a kid dinosaur. It's not a camel. Something that's interesting, did you know that camels were known as the saddest animal? Do you know why Jesus used a camel as the illustration? Because the Bible tells us that that man left very sad because of all of his wealth that he had. There's a connection between that and what Jesus was saying here. And so when you look at this and you think about this, Jesus is using hyperbole here, which is an exaggerated statement to make make us think of something else. And look at what the disciples say in verse 26. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? To be astonished means to be abundantly struck out of their senses. Their minds were blown by the statement that Jesus just made. We think about what the Bible says in Luke 13, verse 23 and 24. Then said one of him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter into a straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. The disciples, you know, the Lord already commissioned them to go and spread the gospel, and he sent them out. Remember, he called them already. We've already looked at that passage. And now Jesus makes a statement that, man, it is impossible. There's more chance of a camel going through the eye of a needle than that you could get yourself saved. Think on that for a minute. Thank God for verse 27. Where would we be without verse 27? Look at what it says. And Jesus, looking upon them, said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And once again, Jesus fixes the eyes of the disciples and teaches them the incredible truth about salvation. Left to ourselves, we are lost and there is no way we could get to salvation on our own. We never could make it. This dinosaur has more of a chance of going through the eye of that needle. The only way to get there is to admit that we're separated from God because of our sin and that we need a Savior. And that Savior made it possible so that we could be saved. We cannot and on our own get saved. We need God. Let that sink in for a minute. It is impossible for you to get saved. But not with God. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. That's why he went through all he went through. Because without him, there was no salvation for mankind. 
You might be sitting here this morning. You might be going through some things in your life. Maybe you're facing some things that seem impossible this morning. I want to remind you this morning, just as God told Abraham in Genesis 18 and verse number 14, is there anything too hard for God? There's nothing too hard for the Lord today. Maybe your marriage is a mess. Maybe you have a, some issues with your friends. I don't know where you're at in life, but Jeremiah 32, 27 makes it clear. The Bible says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Maybe you're having a rough time at work. Maybe you're having a rough time taking care of some family in your life and helping them. Maybe you're just going through a tough time. You've got to remember this morning that we serve a God that can help us and get us through the toughest situations. Romans 8, 31, it says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? All things are possible today. Thank God. Thank God for Jesus Christ. We see, number one today, that salvation is improbable for the wealthy. Number two, we see that salvation is impossible on our own. And then number three, and lastly today, we see that salvation brings incomprehensible benefits. Once again, Peter just can't keep quiet. Peter has to say something. And always in a group of people, you have your Peters, okay? There just always are, all right? So we see after Jesus explains this to them, this would have been a good place just to say, praise God, amen, thank you, Jesus. And that would have been a good place to leave it there. But that's not what happens. So after listening to this, we see Peter speaks up in verse 28, and he says, Then Peter began to say to him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. It's like he wanted Jesus to realize all that they had left to follow him. And basically, what are we going to have to show for leaving everything, is what he's asking. As we look here, the phrase, we all, is emphatic. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they left their livelihood. They left everything behind to follow the Lord. They left it all. Matthew left behind his tax collecting. Simon the Zealot gave up his revolutionary ways. Everyone left something. And the parallel passage in Matthew 19, verse 27, Peter adds, What shall we have therefore? What are we going to get because we left all? That's what Peter's asking. It's easy to pile up on Peter and be like, Peter, you just got to just close your mouth. Don't say those things. But what does the Lord do? He gives them three benefits of their sacrifices that they've made. And let me just say something. It is not a sacrifice to leave things for Jesus Christ. It's not a sacrifice. You might lose something in this world's eyes, but you gain what they're missing. We look at that man last week. He had all the wealth. In the world's eyes, that man had everything he needed. Yet he wasn't happy. He was missing what he needed most. And it is worth forgetting those things to get Christ. Because Christ literally is all that we need. What are the benefits that we get? Number one, or letter A, new relationships. Jesus said there in verse 29, he says, um, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels, but look at what this says right here. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in 
this time. Not in heaven, not later on, right now. You know, you might look, and there might be family members that because you got saved, they want nothing to do with you. You might have a brother or a sister, you're saved, and they're like, you're no fun anymore. We don't, and they don't spend much time with you. When you get saved, you come into a new family. And you gain a lot of brothers and sisters. That's what Jesus is talking about right here. In this time, you gain a new family. You have brothers and sisters. You have all, all these new relationships put in your life because of the bond that we have in Jesus Christ. You have a new family. That doesn't mean you need to forget your old family. Love your family and try and get them as close as you can to the Lord. But you have new relationships. That's why church is so important. That's why the family of God, why it's so special to be a part of God's family. When we look at those things, and you notice that, it says in this time now, God's given us relationships with his people. And, you know, people that we'd never even think of. You know, some of us in this room, some of you have nothing in common. You have different likes and tastes, and there's not, you know, think about this for me. How in the world could I have a relationship with a Raider fan? I just don't know. I hate the Raiders. And last Sunday night, really just put, put the nail in the coffin there. But we have so many Raider fans in our church. And I texted each of them before they could text me and mock me for my team losing. And I told them, your team did a good job. Good job on the win. I've got a lot, and you think, in Christ, we have relationships with people we never would think we would. Because the bond we have in Him. What's one, of the, what's one of the benefits of coming to Christ? The new relationships. Letter B. Letter B, the new rejection. Like, that's a, that's a blessing there? Blessings come and battles also come. As we see, you look at verse 30 there. After it goes through, you get new uh, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. But properly understood, persecution is also a blessing. Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. As we look at those things and we think on those things there, prosperity gospel kind of breaks down when we think about the persecution side of it. But as we serve alongside Jesus today, there's going to be hard times. Think about the disciples and you think about the different things that happen. The book of Acts tells us in Acts 14, 22, that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Philippians 1.29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to happen. We have it. We today have it so good. 
it's not always going to be that way. We see the benefits of new relationships, new rejection, and lastly, new rewards. We receive new relationships and rejection in here, and now we also get rewards that are not here. And it says, in the world to come, eternal life. And then you see verse 31 just explains how the heaven's kingdom is totally opposite than this earthly kingdom. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. God takes the impossible and makes it possible. Quite a passage this morning. We look at it, and we see this man who left everything, and Jesus talks about how improbable it is for the wealthy to get to heaven. And he goes deeper into those things. And then he goes even further to say that with man it is impossible to get saved. But not with God. It's where you got to always remember. You know why God deserves all the glory and all the praise? Because we did nothing. And we could do nothing. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. That's what the song says. If we did something to make it so we could go to heaven, we could sing our own praises when we get into church. We don't sing our praises. We sing Jesus Messiah, name above all names. How great thou art. Because we acknowledge the fact we couldn't do it on our own. He made it possible. And without him, I would have nothing. That's why my riches, my wealth, should not mean very much to me. Because what have they done for me? Nothing. Jesus did everything. I would encourage you, Christian, today to put the Lord first in your life. He wants to be first. He deserves to be first. And we should honor him and make much weight of him today in our lives would change the way that we live. He's done so much for us. And even Peter here gives this response, well, I've left everything to follow you. What do I get for that? That's the gist of what he said. And the Lord didn't get after him. He says, you got new relationships. You're going to get persecuted. But happy are you when you get persecuted for my name. And then you get eternal life. The rewards way outweigh live in this, living in this world, living for this world. With man, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is possible.